My name is Dr. Paul Richardson, and I'm the uh, Clinical Program Leader and Director of Clinical Research at the Jerome Lipper Multiple Myeloma Center in the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. The rationale behind the ICARIA trial was built out of the success, on the one hand, of pomalidomide and dexamethasone as a salvage regimen in relapsed refractory myeloma, and at the same time, the very promising data that has emerged with isotuximab, which is a CD38 targeting antibody, that's importantly different to daratumumab because it has a different epitope for binding and it triggers a different signals preclinically that may set aside certain qualities differences between the two antibodies. And so there was a strong rationale preclinically for the development of isotuximab. Moreover, early phase studies with isotuximab as both monotherapy and then when we combined it with pomalidomide were very promising. Specifically with isotuximab as a monotherapy, response rates were very comparable to what we see with daratumumab. And in fact, one of the advantages of isotuximab, given its properties, is that it requires a short infusion time and relatively limited pre-med. And it can also be administered to patients who have histories of asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is because it activates complement to a lesser degree. As a result of that, it, it has obviously a tolerability profile that's very favorable. So the rates of infusion reactions are actually quite low. Putting that all together, it was then combined rationally with IMIDS in various settings, but the relevant ones to Acaria were the combination trials that we did with isotuximab combined with pomalidomide. And what we showed there was a very impressive response rate in relapsed refractory patients. But most encouragingly, we saw a remarkable PFS in these phase one, two experiences. And the median PFS was actually over 17 months for our patients with this platform. And that, in this setting of relapsed refractory disease, is really quite uh, encouraging. So with that as a background, um, we sought to validate this in a randomized phase three setting, which was to compare pomalidomide and dexamethasone to pomalidomide, dexamethasone, and isotuximab in a relapsed refractory patients. In terms of the study design, this was sought to be a one-to-one -one randomization between the two-drug standard, and that, of course, is pomalidomide and dexamethasone, given in the classical fashion, compared to the three-drug platform. Just to remind people that isotuximab is given typically weekly for the first month and then can be converted quickly um, to every two weeks thereafter. And essentially, this was partnered with the pomalidomide, which was given three weeks on and one week off, which was exactly, of course, how it was administered to the patients in the standard care arm. And also, what's important to note is that if patients were assigned to the standard of care arm, should they unfortunately progress, then they were able to go on and receive the 38 targeting therapy in the form of daratumumab off protocol. And so that, that was an important design consideration. Suffice to say that we enrolled approximately 150 patients per arm. And this was done relatively quickly because we were very fortunate in having over 90 sites involved and the study was conducted in over 20 countries. We sought to make the study as real world as possible. And by that, I mean, we were able to enroll patients with a broad age range, including some much older patients in their 80s, as well as frailer patients, patients with histories of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and asthma. And also, we allowed uh, patients with significant renal dysfunction to participate. Most importantly, patients entering the study had to have been exposed to proteasome inhibitors and immunomodulatory drugs. And a critical point was that they had to be refractory to lanolidomide. And therefore, we were very encouraged that the patient population reflected this. And over 90% of the patients ultimately enrolled, randomized, and treated 
were truly refractory to lenalidomide. So this, this constitutes a very important population of patients and, and, and in many ways what we would consider an unmet medical need. With that in mind, the, the study was conducted relatively fast. The endpoint was reached quickly with demonstration of a significant PFS advantage in favor of the three drugs over the two. This was essentially a doubling of PFS. We saw approximately a 12-month median PFS for the three drugs, and we saw approximately a six-month PFS for the two drugs. And obviously, the statistical significance of that was very substantial, and the hazard ratio was very encouraging. The responses reflected that as well. There was effectively a doubling of the response rate from around 35% to approximately 60 to 70% in three-drug combination. And importantly, there was a very high-quality response difference as well in favor of the three drugs versus the two. And interestingly, we did an exploratory analysis of MRD testing in this highly refractory population, and we were struck to find that with uh, next-generation sequencing, we were able to achieve MRD negativity in 5% of patients with the three drugs, whereas zero for the control group which was an interesting and important signal. So in terms of the results of the study, we were encouraged by the efficacy signal. We're also very pleased by the safety. In that regard, there were no new signals that were unusual or unexpected seen. And whilst there were higher rates of neutropenia and also by that same token, higher rates of upper respiratory tract infection, um, non-hematologic toxicities were very uncommon. Infusion reactions were low in terms of incidence, just around 35%. And these were the vast majority were grade one, two, with only a, a couple of patients experiencing grade three or four reactions only. And as a result of that, the overall tolerability profile of the isotoxinab we felt was very favorable. Really reflecting that as well was the quality of life data that we generated. And I think in that regard, the ACARIA trial was you know, very proactive, and we were able to, in fact, present our randomized comparative quality of life data in our presentations, both at ASCO and EHA. And what we showed there was that there was no difference in quality of life between the two arms, such that the three drugs did not impact adversely on QOL compared to the two. And that, I think, was a very important signal to share. I think that the implications of the study are very encouraging and broad. Um, the first one to share is that in terms of real-world practice, we were struck that whilst the data are relatively immature, we are still seeing a trend in favor of overall survival advantage to free drugs over the two. That to see so early in the course of a trial was quite striking. That's despite the fact that over half the patients in the control group received darutumumab at relapse. And so that would suggest that keeping CD38 targeting antibody therapy in reserve for patients in the relapsed refractory setting is not necessarily the best strategy, but in fact, um, keeping the, moving the antibody earlier makes sense. So I think that's an important message from the study that clearly the use of isotuximab early in the relapsed refractory course conferred trend favoring survival despite uh, CD38 salvage of the control group. Other real world implication was that the time to next therapy for the three drugs versus the two was strikingly different in favor of the three drugs versus the two, which is another real-world implication. And when you look specifically at subgroups in the trial, and this was an a priori analysis, if you look at patients, uh, so a pre-planned a priori analysis, if you look at the patients who are lenalidomide refractory, signal was very robust in that group for the three over the two. And then most importantly, when you looked at high risk, you had cytogenetics, renal dysfunction, and other features, we were able to see clear advantage to three drugs. 
And finally, in, in the context of real world, older patients did well. That's a very important signal because often these patients are not well represented in large pivotal phase three trials. And because of that, you know, the, the, the signal that clinicians can, can derive from studies that they can then bring to their clinics can, can be a little bit more uh, difficult to extrapolate. In our study, we did a, a pre-planned analysis of older patients, and we were able to show clearly that the benefit there was as big as it was for, for the median overall. So lots of real-world data. And the question then becomes, you know, how does this align, given that daratumumab, which has been so successful, is now up front in the treatment of myeloma, and, and rightly so. Well, I think what it tells us is that, you know, as you have exciting new regimens being used up front, you have to have highly successful regimens for salvage. And in combination, certainly, there would be, in my mind, a, a rationale for the use of isotoxumab in relapse. And, and indeed, after patients already received daratumumab, and, and for example, daratumumab treatment had, had ultimately failed them, this would seem to me anyway to suggest that combination strategies incorporating isotoxumab have a strong rationale given the data that we have so far. And with that in mind, studies are now going forward with isotoxumab earlier in myeloma and in combination with other platforms, such as, for example, combination of isotoxumab with lidamide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone, as well as other platforms, including carfilzomib and other novel agents.